Hello and welcome to this all-new episode of Poetry Spoken Here. I am producer and technical director Jack Rossiter-Munley. And very quickly before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention as always that Poetry Spoken Here is produced by Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated, a small digital production company making podcasts about poetry, literature, and cultural history. You can find out more about Poetry Spoken Here and all of the other Cardboard Box Productions podcasts at cardboardboxproductionsinc.com. And, most excitingly, Cardboard Box Productions also has a newsletter called Unboxed that you can subscribe to, and that's a great place to get more information about the poets and writers featured on Poetry Spoken Here, and the people, poems, and subjects featured on all of the other Cardboard Box shows. So again, that's the newsletter Unboxed that you can subscribe to from CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. On with the show. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Katerina Canyon from Seattle. She's talking to us, and she'll be reading from her new book, Surviving Home, from Kelsey Publishers. And she has been a poet laureate out there in the West, actually when living in the L.A. area, in the town of Sunland, Tayunga. And that town has a interesting history of once upon a time being a town that motorcyclists gravitated to. It's not quite so much now, but she's told me it's a really, a really lovely neighborhood with a diverse uh, group of people in terms of all kinds of things. She was poet laureate there. Another interesting thing about Katerina is she has an MA in law and diplomacy from Tufts University. But we're going to be focusing mostly on surviving home. So Katerina, I'm really glad you're here. We could connect across the country and uh, get to know you and hear some of your poetry. Thank you. It's great to be here. And thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Now, um, if, if I want to start right off like digging into it with surviving home. If you were going to tell someone what this book's about, in, you know, in a, in a paragraph, what would you what would you probably be uh, saying? Well, I would initially say that this is a collection of poetry about my life and about growing up uh, in Los Angeles and about the things I dealt with as a young Black woman growing up um, in L.A. Both my parents struggled with addiction and my father was fairly abusive. And I wrote these these collection of poems, actually, when I was in the hospital, I had had, um, I was in, I was having a serious bout of depression. And the doctor suggested that I write in order to deal with it. And I hadn't written poetry in a while, um, at least six months. And then I just sat down and started writing. And these poems are essentially me coming to terms with the childhood I had and my coping with the things that happened to me while I was growing up. Yes, and some of it's pretty harrowing. My childhood was pretty harrowing. Oh, God. Well, like the, the, uh, the poem, All Day Long. Oh, yeah, that, that one. 
I have an autistic brother, and that one is about how my father used to put him in the closet, and he would send me in behind him to calm him down. And my brother's name is Mo, and I would do many things to calm him down. Uh, but uh, one thing that he that I he'd love to do is those little hand clap, you know, ching ching ching, and razzmatazz, and you do rock to the treetop all day long, and clap, and he would love that, and that would help calm him down. He was also also I haven't written a poem about this yet, but he would also become calm listening to Al Green. Hmm. Um, but this poem is, is about being in the closet with him because uh, now I'm claustrophobic and I think a lot of it has to do with being locked in the closet with him. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I could, since you brought that up, I could read that poem all day long. In a few moments, my father will toss the screaming boy into the closet. I will be sent in behind him as a sedative, the autism whisperer in knee socks and a Snoopy t-shirt. I was always able to contain the rabbit, having once been a rabbit myself. Before my birth, and I recall the transition, the piercing of the coral shell, the faucet that opened, and the hook that broke my character. I should have held tight to my mother's twine. My locks should have tied true. Instead, my framework is cracked. I cannot repair it with plaster or denial, and truth does not burnish it either. I hold my brother's hand. I clench my breath. His scream lowers to a bleat. The closed door becomes an ocean, our prison an oasis, just he, me, and the sea playing hand-clap games. And we cannot be bound. We are free, I tell him. We are infinite because I declare it as sister and deity. Our situation is what it is. We are stuck. We can choose whether we are stuck in darkness or in light. You can find both truth and lies in perception. Does he understand me? Autism makes him mute, not stupid. We are free. He laughs. We are free. I laugh. We are free as we clap our hands together and laugh and I sing songs of birds tweeting and razzmatazz while he claps and sways and rocks back and forth. His bleat is a hum. Perhaps that was he, or maybe it was I who had the rabbit scream. Who's to remember? How, how was it for you going back to those, those kinds of memories? Was it real hard to do Had enough time passed or? Uh, at the time, uh, when I was writing these, it felt like relief. Um, I don't know if there will ever be enough time for me to look at things like that without experiencing some level of pain. Yeah. But I think that the pain gets less and I am able to gain more perspective. I have 
I have an issue with dealing with PTSD and I am more able to cope with that now. Uh, and, uh, you know, after the writing and therapy, I'm able to look and not take my place myself back. A, a lot of times when I'm writing poems or I'm reading poems, I, it's like I, I'm transferring myself back to those scenes. Uh, I can have a level of disconnect at this point where I don't go back there. Yeah. But there is a sense of, of planting myself and saying when I, before I talk to people about poetry, know that I'm, I'm in my dining room, I'm sitting at the table, I am talking on Zoom, you know, all of these things I have to tell myself so that I don't go backwards. Yeah. My friends who are poetry therapists would endorse everything you're saying and say that that really makes sense, that, that that's the impact that it, the effect that it has on you by, by writing about it, that it does help things. That's a safe way to just deal with everything. And it, the putting it on paper helps you separate from it a bit. So yeah, it was a, it was a good idea when the doctor told me to write. Before we hit the record button, we, we were talking about uh, performance poetry and uh, your, your uh, experiences down around LA where you were living at that time. With that, uh, you wanna say something about that? Yeah, I was listening to your interview with Kalisa Ray last week or the week before, and she was talking about creating a venue for BIPOC women poets and how um, women in the past, uh, African-American women struggle with establishing legitimacy, especially when it comes to spoken word. And as someone who was reading in the 90s and early 2000s, hearing her say that, I, I talk about, talk about um, going back and experiencing this pain. And, you know, that was something that I hadn't really confronted until I heard this interview with Lisa Ray. And hearing her talk about it, it brought tears to my eyes, thinking about the struggles I had, even as a poet laureate, feeling some sense of legitimacy do, doing performance poetry at the time. You know, there was this sense that I wasn't legitimately a poet because I didn't have a degree and 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 I told you the story I told you was I was doing this TV show with this other woman poet who happened to be white and she was upset with the host that she and I were on the same show because she didn't consider me to be the same caliber because I didn't have the degrees that she had. And I struggled a lot with that, you know, before I went back to school. And 
And I think a lot of my impetus for going to school was because I wanted to have that legitimacy, even though I didn't get a master's in poetry. uh, It was important to me because I wanted to be able to share poetry. I was not able to get certain readings or teach certain classes because they'd say, we'd love to have you teach, but you don't have a college degree. So I was hitting barriers because of it. And even though my master's is in law and diplomacy, I went to a school that I felt was important in my journey because I wanted to learn more about systemic racism. And I felt that after getting my bachelor's, it occurred to me in winning the, after getting my bachelor's and winning the creative writing award for the entire university three years running, I felt that I was a poet at that point. <laughs> I think so. And, and, and I felt that I wanted to investigate what is going on with this country more than I wanted to do anything else. And, and my degree specialized in communication structures and language in regards to African-Americans and the power of language. And I think that was more important in developing my book and, and in, in investigating systemic racism um, than going off to get an, an MFA, MFA at oh. the time. And yeah, this, and it was a struggle for me and I was much younger and, and I, I think that if the person that's sitting here today, um, what encountered those same restrictions, I would fight them at the time I felt like I had, I had to play the game that was being played. Yeah. And I said, fine, if I need these credentials, I'll go get them. Yeah. And it took me a long time, (laughs) but, uh, but I got them and, and, well, back and going then, to school the, in St. Louis, I got quite a, an education. Uh, I also got quite an education on systemic racism there. Well, and <laughs> I didn't take any classes on it, but I got quite an education on it. <laughs> well, back uh, then, um, um, th- there was barely even a poetry slam scene, so there wasn't even much of a a very large population of spoken word people. No. The universities and colleges would still have the thing about who they'll bring to campus and those official credentials but just in general out there uh there really wasn't much and it's been it's been growing of course which is good yeah i wasn't i there i think i even at the time of the poet laureate program i believe that i was the only poet laureate in the la area at the time Hmm. you know marlene hit in, was the first poet laureate of Sunland Tahanga, and then I was the second behind her. So I know that whenever the LA City Council or the mayor needed a poet, I was I was who they called. So, the one, yeah. 
Maybe we should move on to another poem. Uh, I will talk forever. Well, it's a combination. They get to know you. They get to know your poetry. Right. So this one is called um, Bessie's Reincarnation. Um, I was homeless and so was my grandmother's. And my grandmother's name is Bessie. And this is what this is about. Uh, I long ago toted my mastodon life in a large green glad bag. Sidewalks, my trusted friends protected me away from home. Guided by street lamps, daylight never left. I rarely slept in the skyscraper's shadow when my eyes shut. The song of traffic electrified my mind, dancing throughout rush hour. Fires burned in tar-coated oil drums. Here I separated myself from sleeping bags, lying side by side on sixth tombstones holding specters in my eyes. For someone who hasn't done it, it's hard to imagine. I gotta tell you, getting the picture there, you know, hearing the traffic going by and and you're out there. Yeah, I was homeless off and on um, quite a bit until I was 20. Uh, my parents my parents, we got evicted a lot. <laughs> um, but when my mother died, I didn't, there was a point where I didn't have any place to go. And I was pregnant and I was out on the streets alone. And that's what that particular moment is about. Wow. This Read next another. one. Yeah. Uh, it's called House at Night. And this one is about when I was living, there was a point when we were living in this abandoned house in Riverside County, and, which is east of Los Angeles. And, and it's in the middle of nowhere. And it's about that house. House at night. Gold-flecked dust ignites in waves. I kiss my desert skin. Like coyote's song lulls me before I can count sheep. The doorknob will turn before the locks clasp, protects me from what it is inside. Numb as a tortoise who hides in his shell, I take the bite of the rattlesnake who breaks his fangs on my carapace. I swallow the venom from his lips. I consume his allotrope skin, take in the flesh's taffy between my teeth. He dies as I play his song. Papa was a rolling stone. The notes are tucked into a journal. My cracked voice sings. When he died, all he left me was alone. Mm. That's a killer last line. <laughs> this next one is called Blessings. It's a far cry from shoeless. Buster Brown patent leather shoes with bows while toes are squeezed in tightly to fit. It, it's a far cry from starving, banana and sunny D in the morning, free lunch at school, beans and rice for dinner, sometimes nothing. It's a far cry from homeless, an abandoned house in the middle of nowhere with doors propped up with two by fours. It's a far cry from rape, 
the acts he makes you perform. So close your eyes and think of pretty things. It's a far cry from over this life you live. So take time to hope for snow in the morning, fireflies at night, and Thrifty's ice cream in the afternoon. <clears throat> that is, yeah, I remember that poem from reading the book. That's a killer. You. I used to love Thrifty's ice cream. It was 15 cents yeah. for a single scoop. <laughs> <laughs> um, this one is called A Die Cast on Sand. I thought your hard edges were stone and immovable. Your freckles change all minds depending on the side you show, fortune or destruction. When I rolled you over and your character changed as you were nestled in dust, spread before oceans of fire akin to a volcano, ashen ore, acrimony, your disregard fought with a wishbone. You gave me your heretic cornerstone speech metamorphic rock ground into gravel and grit. After sunset, you showed me revelations of rubble buried in my fragmented shell. I held you, you did not move, yet my heart did. When waves buried you beneath the water, I reached into the seaweed and plucked you out. Mm. I, love, I love your uh, personal style. Thank you. It comes across. Are you doing readings around Seattle these days? Uh, well, actually, um, here in Northeast Seattle, we have a reading in the park every two weeks. Mm. Um, it's one of the few that are happening um, because of COVID restrictions. Yeah. So there's poetry in the park, and every other Thursday I go out and I read a ton of poems because it's pretty much me, the poet laureate of Redmond, Washington, and about four other people. <laughs> okay. It's, <fun>. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have an outlet for that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's always good to have practice at reading the poems to an audience, you know, yeah. that's and just I such also, a good thing. Yeah. I also host a poetry reading every Thursday tonight. Um, oh, and by the way, you started, it said, something said you started a poetry festival back when you were yeah, poet laureate? Um, oh my God, how'd you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I decided that as poet laureate, I was just saying, okay, what can I do to spread, you know, yeah. the benefits of poetry? So I said, I know, I'll start a, start a poetry festival. So I went to neighborhood council and said, hey, I want to start a poetry festival. And that's where I met a wonderful person by the name of Joe DeCenzo. And he helped me um, organize and put together this festival along with Don Campbell, who's another uh, poet who's known um, really well in, in the LA area. And we, he, Don helped me gather talent and poets. Joe helped me with the logistics I pretty much ran around, I don't know, doing my poet laureate thing. <laughs> I talked to schools. <laughs> Great. And and we organized um, a poetry festival. It ran for about three or four years. 
it was it was a good time and i was i was happy to do it i'd do it again if had the op- if i had the opportunity i always like poets talking about that here because somebody listening might realize oh i could do that yeah. <laughs> you know a person decides to do that and you kind of just do it <laughs> yeah it's amazing and it's wonderful the things, it's amazing the things that people will let you do you know <laughs> i just i i i go just a lot of times with absolutely no know-how and just a desire and i get a lot accomplished so, that's great yeah yeah i was really happy about the poetry festival and and hopefully a lot of people do them now but i have to see what's going on in seattle maybe i'll see if we can start one here mm. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we have time for one more poem, if you would. Okay. Um, this one's called Before God. You were crushed into me through stone and pestle, he pressed thistle and thorn, the creation. You came the seventh day to take my milk and innocence. Together we rested against sage and tumbleweeds. When you cried, I nursed you in bitter milk. Breaching through secrets, you asked if I ever wanted you. Shouting through clouds of dust. My son, I wanted you before my own birth. Before sword cut to stone. Bathe in my tears, my blood. Know that I wanted you before God. All right. Well, that's a lovely poem to end with. Okay, well, folks, I'm Charlie Rossiter. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today, Katerina Canyon, talking to us from Seattle, Washington. And it's been a real pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right. Pleasure for me as well. Okay, folks, join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Monley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, PoetrySpokenHere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, PoetrySpokenHere at gmail.com. <laughs>